welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Did you read about Lewis Roberts this week? Young English lad uh, from Staffordshire in England. And uh, he suffered, thanks Musos, thanks guys, Eddie particularly looking dapper, the grey and white look. I noticed that, look at that, black, white and grey, very cool, thank you. And uh, Sarah, you look lovely, you always do. And Sarah's, you know, just awesome. And uh, look, you scrub up all right too, Matt, there you go. All right. Um, so this guy, Lewis Roberts, uh, he suffered this uh, terrible accident. He uh, was hit by a car, got catastrophic injuries. And this is only a few weeks ago over in the UK. He was rushed to hospital. He underwent emergency surgery. But the doctors told uh, his family that nothing more could be done to save him. And so um, a few days later, he was declared brain dead and uh, the family were told to say their goodbyes, which they did, as well as signing all the um, papers uh, for having his uh, organs to be donated. And then, just a few hours before the operation was to take place, he started breathing on his own. And in spite of the fact his family had been told there was a zero chance that he would recover, he started to do just that. And he is continuing to recover. He's reacting to pain tests. He's moving his head, his limbs by himself. He's improving every day. That's cool. I just saw that in the news and it it made me think of a few things. First of all, I thought, well, how stoked young Lewis must be uh, (laughs) to have a second chance of life and that his family is glad that he's alive, he's recovering and that his life wasn't cut short and hopefully he'll live a good, long, full life. Secondly, it made me think, how relieved the medical team must be uh, who were going to do the harvesting operation. And perhaps, I don't know, maybe it was an afternoon sort of slot that they'd put him in and they were so glad he hadn't been scheduled for the morning. I don't know, but I'm sure that they were just very relieved. It also demonstrates uh, how euthanasia is wrong uh, because apart from the general principle that people shouldn't play God, so to speak, uh, and that we need to give life all the sanctity and respect it deserves it just shows the practicalities and the problems of assisted dying laws because some people could be killed probably possibly have been killed who would otherwise recover like this young guy and so I know that's a controversial issue but I think we just need to hold on to life give it every opportunity and that's why those laws are so problematic but the main point about this that it got me thinking about the, the weight of death, the power of death, the fact that death headlines in the news all the time. No one hits the news just to say, well, today, Anthony Frost is still alive. It's like, great. But one day, not for a long time, but one day, it may be headlines. You know, multi-millionaire, you know, that's it. That's all I got. Famously good-looking in spite of his age. At 110, a man still 
fighting the ladies off with a stick, saying, I'm a one-woman man, and there's his wife, Emily, standing by his side at 109, or 104. So I assume Emily's much younger than you. Anyway, all right, I'm going to get in trouble here if I keep going. What I'm saying is, death makes the news because it's a big deal, a scary deal, and, and even with all the medical help and modern science and clever minds that we've got available, which are significant, uh, sometimes there's nothing we can do to save people. You just can't stop them dying. Death just has the final say and no one can stop it. Or can they? <laughs> because wouldn't it be amazing if there was someone or something more powerful than this ominous, foreboding, terrible, inevitable sense of death? Someone or something that could provide hope that there was life beyond the grave, yeah? Someone who could somehow overcome the overcomable. Well, there is, and I'm glad you're here today because in case you hadn't heard, his name is Jesus. And we celebrate him today and what he's done for us because he has defeated death. And today we focus on that and we focus on how he did that. We just heard a little while ago from the last chapter of uh, Matthew that John read for us. Uh, And speaking of John, we will read John's account. Not this John as, you know, possibly famous he may be or good looking or whatever. But there was another John wrote the account of the same incident. uh, And we read this in John chapter 20, the Gospel of John. uh, And I'm going to read, I think, 10 verses in the New Living Translation. There it is. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Right, so just stop there. You probably know the scholars agree that this disciple, not unnamed, is actually John, the writer. Um, and they're all in agreement. Uh, he refers to himself this way because it was a sign of humility. He didn't want the spotlight to be on himself. Also shows his identity in God, the gratefulness that he had for the love of God. But we know that's John. So uh, Mary said, look, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple, that's John, started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stopped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head, was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for until then they hadn't yet understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Okay, just want to notice something. Did you see what John did in this passage? Did you notice him throwing his mate under the bus? Okay, I just love, or am I the only one that ever had running races with their mates after school and loved to win? Because I, I can't help but notice something here. In verse 4, it says, Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now, okay, I'm no Bible scholar. I don't know what it's in there for except... <laughs> That God just let John get it in. I, I, okay, you can tell me afterwards over coffee because a lot of people like to correct their pastors. Uh, you know, and you can tell me the deeper meaning, but I just don't see it except... Uh, what I do imagine is that years later, John and Peter were catching up 
little respite amongst suffering and persecution and, and preaching the gospel, but they were just, you know, having an earthenware cup of red and, uh, and, uh, and saying, oh, you know, wow, what a time it was. And Peter says, you know, what about the time we ran to the tomb? Do you remember that? <laughs> wow, hey, eh? you know? And John says, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. And I remember beating you there first. And Peter looks at him funny like, yeah, whatever. See if anyone's ever going to know about that. There are only two of us there. And John just whips out his phone or his iPad and goes to the notes sections and says to himself, oh, they're going to know all right. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's just, you know, he's thinking, I'm writing the account and the Lord allows. I'm I'm feeling the inspiration of the Holy Spirit on this one, Lord. I'm just going to mention it. I'm just going to slip it in there. And... um, and, and now the rest of humanity, for all time, the number one selling book in the history of humankind, it's got a record of who won the race. I just love it. Because he says it again. Did you see that? In verse 8. Then the disciple, <clears throat> who had reached the tomb first, <laughs> have I mentioned that, also went in. I, sorry, I just love it. I just think that, that God has a sense of humour and I, he got it in there twice. Back to the main story. All right. Uh, so, look, the last verse just shows that they were still coming to grips with what Jesus had done. You know, they, they what? He's not there, but in the, oh, oh. You know, it's starting to dawn on them they, that, hang on, Jesus has actually risen from the dead. It, he's done the unthinkable, the literally incredible. Someone could actually be resurrected from death. But of course, it did gradually sink in to all the disciples, including Thomas, because Jesus did come and appear to them and meet with them. And the Bible says hundreds of others. And of course, all throughout that area, people came across Jesus. But the clever ones were able to then realise, wow, this is a fulfilment of all the Old Testament prophecies and the words that the Lord himself had shared about and that somehow, you know, when, he, when he'd shared it or when they'd read the prophecies, it can seem a little convoluted, but ah, now it makes sense. And of course, it all started to fit together that Jesus had actually come from heaven to show us how to live, teach us how to live, how he suffered, how he died on the cross for all the sins of mankind, how he had ushered in this new covenant so that people could have this brand new relationship with God. And now he had proven himself victorious over his arch enemy, the devil, and, and he had broken the power of death. The, the power that had been held hovering darkly over people from all history. And now he had this victory. And he didn't just have the victory for himself, he was sharing the victory for anyone who would follow him by faith. And of course, when we do follow him, we do follow through death into resurrection because these bodies will, you know, eventually wizen and waste away and, and that's just life. <laughs> Part of life is death. But the real you is your spirit beyond your body. And so you get to live on without this current body. And, and so because of that, there's... There's no reason to be afraid of death. There's just no fear. There's no, you know, the grim reaper, that image, the scary, you know, freaky figure with the skeleton robed in a shroud carrying the sickle 
I, I read the other day about that, how it originated. The first drawings of the Grim Reaper started in the 1300s when the Black Death, the plague, swept through Europe. A third of the population were wiped out. And so artistic people started drawing these crazy, scary images. And ever since, that image of the Grim Reaper has appeared in various forms to show how scary death is. The skeleton representing death, the shroud, the hood, showing, you know, sort of adding to the sinister vibe, the darkness of it all, the sickle, showing how life can be cut down and <laughs> harvested off by this character. And there's some very scary uh, images of the Grim Reaper, except for this one, which I saw the other day. And the <laughs> there's the Grim Reaper. I'm death. And I love this bloke says, that's okay, I'll speak louder. So <laughs> he's hard of hearing. But I suspect even that if he did hear clearly, if he was a believer, he would have the same nonchalance about the Grim Reaper. I just love his, his unflappable coolness. <laughs> you know, the Grim Reaper's doing his best. I'm coming. Here. And he's like, yeah, whatever. Move out of the way, Sonny. I'm going on to Pearly Gates. There's the Lord. See ya. You know, it's like, and I think that that's the way we should we, we should depart. Uh, you know, that uh, I don't know. You might make it without a walking frame, but you know what I'm saying. If you're living a good, ripe old age, and that death comes to you, it's like, yeah, whatever. You know, okay, because um, we, we don't we're just not phased because Jesus has defeated death. Yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't have to worry us. We're not concerned about oh, what's going to happen when we die, or how some people live, well, maybe there's nothing after this existence, so I just better grab life by its horns and that's, this is all I've got. And then there's what? Nothing. And so that's, I mean, it's hard to kind of really live life to the full, I reckon, when that's peering, staring you down, you know. But, but we know that there's more. Death is just a, a parting, just a, a parting of our real selves with our physical bodies. Huh. And the older you get... That's looking more and more like quite a pretty good proposition because you get to trade this, this, this one in for a new body. So, you know, when you're young and gorgeous and fit, like you 20-year-olds, I, I don't say that disdain. I do say that disdainfully. Um, you know, well, in, enjoy it. You know, enjoy it. Your time will come. And, um, uh, you know, so, you know, the body, the body does have a way of slowing down and some people are told to be careful, to slow down and be careful. Um, and, um, uh, and so, this deacons. So, um, so look at what Jesus said to Martha. You may know this scripture. Uh, John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus famously proclaimed, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? <laughs> there's, the, there's the kicker. No, no point if you don't believe it. But Jesus is the resurrection. He has come with that life. And if we believe in him, even though we die, we will keep living. He was effectively saying, look, there is life after death. The rumours are true. It's not just fantasy or wishful thinking or some man-made construct. It really is there, eternal life does exist and I'm providing the way for you to experience it. And so we have this great hope of life and home in heaven when we die. Amen? That's awesome. But here's the good news. 
eternal life doesn't start when you die. Eternal life starts when you commit your life to Christ. And so you get to live on earth with the same resurrection power and victory that Jesus demonstrated over sin, over the devil, over death. And so he gives that to us. His spirit lives in us. So we carry this power in us and we get to live with that. And the Bible proves that and tells us because it talks to us about how we live this victorious, empowered life. Look at Romans chapter 11, sorry, chapter 8, verse 11. And uh, there it says, um, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. And so we get the Spirit of God living in us. And so we have this power that we, we pray and proclaim this, this resurrection power over our lives. So we get to live with a sense of victory. We, we know, look, Jesus has overcome sin, the devil, death, he, all the attacks, disease, destruction, dramas, whatever the devil throws at us. And, and of course, we don't bypass problems. We don't just, you know, escape pain or magically tiptoed through the tulips through life as if you know we don't ever have any issues we get the problems but we get the inner strength that God gives us to survive through the problems yeah we get uh, peace in the midst of the storm we have a calm confidence that things are going to work out we we have a good long-term perspective that at the end of the day we win the Lord's promised that we know that things are going to work together for good for us and you know, you may know this sense of confidence in your heart in some realms of life uh, when you know, oh no, we're going to do, I'm going to get this deal done. You know, you're believing for your kids, you know, or you've got a business deal or sport. Can I talk about sport? It's been a couple of weeks. Because, um, you know, on the sporting field or in a race, sometimes you are behind the scoreboard or the, 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 the lay of the track or the race that someone might be in. And you might look like you're going to lose, but do you know, you've ever, some of you have probably had that sense sometimes where, no, no, we're going to win. Like, you know, on the rugby field, you're battered, you're bruised, you've come up against some crazy aggro team. Um, I can remember playing in Sydney with a bunch of guys and we played a team and they were all Islanders and in the backs where the skinny, normal, little-shaped guys face other normal, skinny-shaped guys didn't have to worry about the big buffhead forwards because they're all, you know, tough guys like this. But the backs lining up against us, it was like, you're in the wrong position. Your legs are like tree trunks, as they say. You're a forward. You should be in the scrum. Why? And he's looking at me. With no. I remember at the start of the, the, the match, this guy is smiling, no teeth. I don't care, I've got nothing to lose. Yeah. And, he's just, and of course, the Maori sidestep, you've heard that expression? That means they just basically go straight over the top of you. And... Uh, you know, uh, you know, so you come up against it. But sometimes you have those situations, you're battered and bruised, but your captain says at halftime, we've got this, focus on the game and confidence rises and you've got a couple of star players and you think, yes, yes. And then and you win and you can have this sense of confidence, even though you, you, you know, you're going through 
Am I the only one? Come on. Boy, you're all the sporty guy, you know. Or tennis is so psychological. You can be your worst enemy. You're just, oh, I'm a loser and there's a little battle going on in your head. Shut up. Stop it. You know, Ruth played so much tennis as a kid. She's so good. She couldn't be bothered. And so we got married and we learned how to play. I learned how to play tennis after we got married. And, uh, and Ruth just, just whipped me, you know, just off, the, just got all the shots and all that. But she just gets bored. She's like, oh, she played some, oh, she gets bored. So that was no good. I wanted to play tennis. I started playing with a mate back in our 20s, you know, when you're all fit and keen. I've just learned the game. And her family had this lovely tennis court and playing on it all the time. And, and this mate was really good. Like he's athletic, tall, good looking, had all the shots, you know, and all that. And I'm struggling and running around the place and then trying. And then he made the mistake one day by saying, Brownie, you're doing well, but you'll never beat me. And I just thought, my, you shouldn't have said that. So I'm competitive. And so, and honestly, if you watched us play for 10 minutes, you would say the tall, dark, handsome guy, he is going to win. Look at him. This white, skinny guy zipping around. He's got no idea. But, you know, you just get in the zone and you want to do better and all that. And I ended up beating him. But then beyond that, I got to the point where I knew I would beat him because I just wanted to win more. And you'd go out on the court and he'd just serve it up and you'd be behind on the scoreboard and you'd dig deep and you'd just go, no, I'm going to fight back. And you could just feel the mental pressure just over, overcoming the, the talent. And so, <laughs> it's true. I was pretty competitive back then. And, um, and, <laughs> and I, I'm so mellow these days. I am just so chilled. I just hardly get up to anything. I just sit at home and do a bit of gardening. I don't do anything crazy. Um, but uh, anyway, you know, you, you'll relate if you have been into sport that there are times when times are tough, but you know deep inside, I'm going to win. And that's the Christian experience, to have that inner confidence. It's not arrogance. It's not me. It's not you. It's, it's the Lord. So you're not competing against other people. You're not proudly posing like a peacock around the earth saying, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a winner, Get out. I'm more than a conqueror. Get out. No, 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 it's a quiet assurance that God is going to lead us to victory. He's on the throne. It's going to work out together for good, yeah? And so look at Romans 8 again, but further down into that chapter, in verse 31, you may have heard this passage. What shall we say about all these things? And you can look up what he was talking about beforehand. If God is for us, who can be against us? Rhetorical question. Uh, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us, was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honour at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with life? No, as the scriptures say, for your sake, for your sake we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. Oh, come on. And you read on that passage, it talks about nothing can separate us from the love of God, neither height nor depth, and goes... What a powerful, wonderful passage. And there's many others like that in the Bible that shows you what you can believe in, stand on and live by. Amen? 
to be confident in God. And so we get this spring in our step throughout life, even in the toughest seasons, because we follow the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the all-powerful, all-resurrected Lord Jesus. And, and okay, so how do we live this great life? Well, here's the paradox. You only get to live that life by dying. Our new life, this eternal life, this wonderful life that overcomes stuff and overcomes death actually begins with death because we must die to our own way of living. Jesus called it taking up your own cross, just like he took up a physical cross. We have to take up spiritually a cross. And Paul talked about this crucifixion, the Apostle Paul, Galatians 2.20, you may know this first. He says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified with Christ. And so the cross not only killed Jesus, the cross kills the old life of every one of his true followers. It destroys the old way of doing things, the old habits, the old attitudes, the old dreams and desires, and it brings them all to an end. And then at that end, God comes. And the God who raised Jesus from the dead then raises us up as believers and followers with this new life. And this new life is better, more rewarding, more meaningful, more eternal than anything we could conjure up ourselves. Yeah? All right, let me finish with a quote from A.W. Tozer. If you're ever looking for some good reading material and you want to be shaken to your core and challenged and feel disturbed, then read A.W. Tozer. He'll do you good. Very prophetic, strong uh, preacher and writer. And he said this, We must do something about the cross, and we can only do one of two things, flee it or die upon it. If we are wise, we will do what Jesus did, endure the cross and despise its shame for the joy that is set before us. To do this is to submit the whole pattern of our lives to be destroyed and then built again in the power of an endless life. And we shall find that it is more than poetry, more than sweet hymnody and elevated feeling. The cross will cut into where it hurts worst sparing neither us nor our carefully cultivated reputations. It will defeat us. It'll bring our selfish lives to an end. And then, only then, can we rise in fullness of life to establish a pattern of living wholly new and free and full of good works. (laughs) Come on. So today, let's do what Jesus did, yeah? Let's lay down our lives and then... Let's, as a result of that, we can receive the resurrection life that he's made possible for us to have. Not just to live with hope in heaven, hope for heaven, but with strength today. Amen? Come on, let's pray. Oh, wonderful, wonderful God, we thank you. Oh, we thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for the relationship we can have with you as a result of this Easter weekend and Lord we thank you for the resurrection power that you give us oh God it all comes when we just lay it all down and I want to encourage you if you're here today or you're watching online you've never given your life to Christ you know it's 
It's not enough just to be a, a nice person or to read the Bible or go to church. They're all just external things, but but the real essence in our heart is is waiting for us, a relationship with God. Jesus said, I'm knocking on the door of your heart. Just open it up, I'll come in. So if you want to, if you want to give your life to Christ, I, I, I want to encourage you, that's the best decision you will ever make. He will He will take that old life of yours. He will give you a new life. And, uh, and it may be a recommitment. You might be starting afresh. Well, then you do that today as well. Just pray a simple prayer of commitment. Just say, sorry for your sin. Say, God, come into my heart. Jesus, forgive me for doing things all my way and just making all the mistakes and all the sin. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, you've, you've forgiven me. I trust in you. You wash me clean on the inside. You give me right standing before God. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. You pray that prayer and then share it with someone else here or wherever you may be and they'll help you get to follow Him and how to read the Bible and get get on for God. Thank you, Lord God, today. Your blessing on everyone here. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.